Since 1986, Rich Green Lawns has been the leading lawn fertilization company of the Jersey Shore, providing lawn fertilization, bed weed control, tick and mosquito control, as well as tree and shrub programs. Mention this ad and save 50% off your first lawn application. Call or text us today at 732-370-5963. 732-370-5963 or richgreenlawns.com. Welcome to Hook, Line, and Splitter, a Jersey Shore Blue Claws podcast. Hook, Line, and Splitter is presented by NJR Home Services. And now, here's your host, Greg Giambarisi. Pleasant good day, everybody. Welcome to Hook, Line, and Splitter, a Jersey Shore Blue Claws podcast. This is episode 45, and I'm Greg Giambarisi. We'll be joined a little bit later on today by... Blue Claws outfielder Baron Bradford, who's been on an absolute tear of late last week in Lakewood. He had two home runs last Friday, August 26th. He had another one on Sunday, the 28th. He hit a couple of more on Tuesday, the 30th, up in Hudson Valley. He's got 16 home runs on the year. Ten of them have come since the last week of July, and he has just been on fire. No player in the Sally League had a higher OPS in the month of August, then Baron Ratcliffe, who is 1.167. So he'll, he'll, be, uh, he'll be our guest. We're going to talk to him coming up in just a few minutes. Let you know first that Lightstar Energy Group is a leading energy brokerage firm headquartered in New Jersey. Our goal is to provide clients with premium energy management services to lower electricity and natural gas costs and to provide a long-term energy management strategy. We provide ourselves... Uh, we pride ourselves, excuse me, on bringing each and every individual business the same benefits of deregulation enjoyed by universities, municipalities, and all high-volume energy users. Tailored products and contracts, lower costs, personal attention, and outstanding service. 732-722-5880. 732-722-5880. To learn more about Lightstar Energy Group today. So, Baron Reckliff, he was a fifth-round pick in 2020 out of Georgia Tech. That was the COVID year. We'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, he's from, he was born in Lansing, Michigan, spent a little time growing up in Ohio, then South Carolina, then Norcross, Georgia, where he finished his high school career before going to Georgia Tech. And, you know, he had an opportunity to play football in college as well, um, but settled on baseball, thought it gave him his best chance at a, uh, you know, professional athletic career and had a great career with uh, the Yellow Jackets. He, we did talk about how the draft process in 2020 was a bit messed up because of the COVID situation. And obviously he didn't play a game after his, you know, after the, the second week of March, his senior year, and then gets drafted by the Phillies in, in early June. Uh, what he, had, what he's been working on to get going of late where he's really picked it up. And, you know, I thought it was really cool. He talked about uh, a few hitting sessions that he had over the all-star break back in Georgia with his father, Vic, who himself played minor league baseball for, uh, seven years, mostly in the Kansas City system, and Vic played in Wilmington for Wilmington, uh, while uh, Barron has played in Wilmington with the Blue Claws this year. So um, let's get right to it. And here is Blue Claws slugger and former Georgia Tech Yellow Jacket and maybe the hottest hitter in the Sally League over the last month or so. Our guest today on episode 45 of Hook, Line, and Splitter is Baron Radcliffe. Blue Claws outfielder Baron Radcliffe, our guest today. Baron, welcome. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Taping this on 
Thursday, the the first uh, five home runs in the last week, but last night, uh, game winning infield singles. They they all count the same, right? All those runs count the same. Yep, just gotta put it in play, man. Give us a chance. So we, um, I talked about Saturday. You said your uh, two home run game from last Friday in Lakewood was your first since Georgia Tech, and then you had another one uh, Tuesday night. The game that was finished on uh, on Wednesday, kind of, and you hit another home run on Sunday too. So uh, you feel as locked in right now as you felt as a professional. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, everything, you know, I'm in the box, confident, feel good, um, having success lately. And so that just kind of in turn translates into how I feel in the box and seeing it well, putting a good swing on it. So, What have you been working on with, with Ari and with Keith over the last few months? Um, I mean, Ari kind of, you know, he got sick and was out for a while. Um and there was a point where Chris Heinz was in town and we just kind of came to a conclusion that, you know, cause he started by telling me some things that he had talked to Derek Hall about um, that helped him stay closed. And then I remembered, well, there was a certain thing I did in college that helped me stay closed. Um, cause the main thing for me was just making sure I'm not pulling off the ball. And so I got to a point where I looked at what I did in college and, um, that's, I mean, I just, that's all that happened. Like, I just went back to that and went home, worked on it with my dad um, during the All-Star break, came back, and everything fell into place. So, what did, uh, how was it to work with, with your dad? You know, you work with the, the Phillies coaches, obviously, all year, but, you know, you've worked with your dad probably your whole life. So, what, what was that, uh, what was that like for you at that time of the year? Um, huge, man. Um, it's a comfort thing for me. Um, and so getting to go home and hit with him and regain kind of that comfort level, kind of like recharge and reset for me, um, was really big at that moment, especially struggling, struggling leading up to that point. Um, just kind of like a reset button for me. So being at home just kind of gave me that, all right, we can flush whatever happened before the officer break and, you know, I can be ready to go for second half. You know, big, big lefty slugger, you think, you know, pull a lot obviously but a couple of the home runs this week have gone opposite field they went into the fan zone there in in, in left center but you can you know you try, you try to drive the ball the other way if, if that's the pitch that's that's given to you yeah for sure um one thing my dad taught me my whole life was hit the ball where it's pitched so it's outside hit it to left um if it's inside pull it you know really it's just making sure I'm putting a good swing on it I'm staying back on off speed pitches and for the most part, pitchers go outside on me anyway. So it's easy for me to just stay back and hit it, you know, where it's, where it's headed. The one on Friday into the fan zone, the Chick-fil-A fan zone in Lakewood, did you think that was going to get up? I mean, you only have to clear eight foot for a home run, but did you think it was going to get over all 20 feet? That's a shot. I didn't know. I had no idea. Um, the the spot that I hit it was kind of blended in with the scoreboard. So I couldn't really see the ball after a certain point. Um, I knew that it was going to be a home run. The wind was blowing out the left. So I knew I had hit it well and the wind was blowing out. Um, but I assumed it would just hit off that brick wall. But apparently all my teammates said it just kept going as it cleared the ball. Yeah. Um, I, I don't remember another – I've been here for a few years. I don't remember another lefty hitting out there. Yeah. <laughs> I've done it at BP a couple of times. But um, – being able to do it in a game is crazy. 
and I got some free Chick-fil-A for it. So that was good. There you go. There you go. Um, <clears throat> when you came home that one, you know, you guys were down 7 nothing in the game. The second you hit one to make it 7-1, seven, 7-2, seven, then you hit a three, then the three-run home run, uh, the second one into the fan zone made it 7-5. And I don't think I've seen you as pumped up, as emotional when, when you came home um, for that one. You, you were right back in the ball game at that point, obviously in the seventh inning there. What, what were those emotions like for you when, when you came home with that second homer? Um, I could just remember the times when I was struggling earlier in the season and I had opportunities like that to give us a chance to win or give us a chance to be back in the game and didn't succeed in those positions. So for me, it was just kind of like a after building up off good weeks and then being able to do that and try to help us get back in the game, um, it just fired me up because I know that, you know, there's been chances that I had to do that in the season where I didn't come through. And so when I did, it was like, all right, like, this feels good to be able to put us because, I mean, we didn't even really have too many hits um, at that point. So being able to do that was just kind of like, a, all right, we're back in the game. Um, I'm feeling good. Um, I'm helping us to have a chance to win. And so it fired me up. The two the other night on uh, Tuesday in Hudson Valley, I mean, they were – they were no doubters. Uh, I know you've hit a few of them this year and in, you know, in your career, what's it like, you know, as a big slugger, you know, you're going up there, you want to hit a home run. If you can, you're not necessarily trying to hit a home run, but you want to hit a home run. And then when you connect it and you know, it's gone, that's like the pinnacle. What's that feeling like for a, for a hitter? It's pretty nice, man. It's um, I always catch stuff from my friends and my teammates just because they want to see me pimp home runs a little more and not because I'm used to just hitting the ball and just running. Um, but it's gotten to a point now, especially the second one, like it felt so good, especially on the second one after I've already hit one in the trees that I hit another one off the bat. And my immediate feeling is like, let's go. Like I feel really good. I feel confident. Um, and to be able to hit the ball where I hit it dead center and still know that it's gone. Um, it's pretty, it's a pretty nice feeling for sure. You know, the, the other thing that stands out um, when you look at your numbers, not just this year, last year too, uh, you know, you take a lot of walks and obviously, you know, with your power, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be careful with you, but you know, you're not going to, you don't chase a lot. You know, has that always been a part of your game? Yeah, I think so. Um, and that's kind of just something going forward for me is uh, from a maturation standpoint is just, I struck out a lot this year early on when I was struggling, just trying to kind of get out of the slump. But it's a, it's aggravating for me looking back because I swung at a lot of pitches that I never swing at. And so um, it's always been in my game. Even in college, I was able to walk a lot. And for the most part, it's just because pitchers try to throw around me at every level that I've been in. Um, and so I know once I kind of keep that in my mind and understand what pitchers are trying to do and they're probably going to go soft down and away, things like that. Um, it's just easy for me to, you know, take those pitches or whatever. And I also have a good eye. Um, so I can be patient and know that, you know, I have to get a good pitch to get a swing off or else I'm not swinging. I know you, you want to swing, you want to hit it. Yeah. Uh, is it frustrating at times when, you're just getting, you know, breaking ball down and away, breaking ball down and away. And how do you, how do you stay sharp enough mentally where you don't 
push it to try to hit uh, and try to put balls in play that you can't do anything with. Yeah, it's it's it can get aggravating. Um, even through the stretch that I've been hot, there's been a couple of times where I'm still like, even if I hit a slider, I hit a changeup. For example, I hit two off-speed pitches the other day on Tuesday for home runs. And so in my head, I want to think, all right, they're going to start throwing me some fastballs now. But they still don't want to throw their fastball based off of what the courts say that I hit fastballs. Um, and so for me, it's another thing, like a maturation point, like I was saying earlier, where I just have to understand that I know what these guys are trying to do to me. And I know that, you know, they're going to go soft in a way because they don't want damage done on pitches up in the zone. They think that soft in a way and softened down. Um, is what can get me out and they're going to try to get me to get myself out instead of you know getting me out and throwing a lot of strikes um, so that's just one thing I got to be selective and you know find a good pitch to hit I guess one thing O-Chart kind of says is just make sure if you get that pitch like in that bet whether you get a hit or you don't just you know sometimes you might only get one pitch per bet so make sure you don't miss that one I mentioned before, emotional in in a good way after the second home run last Friday. You were kind of ticked off. I could tell after they intentionally walked you when you pitch hit in um, either the ninth or the tenth. I think it was the ninth. Uh, No, the tenth on uh, on that Wednesday on that Wednesday game too against Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. I wanted it is what it is, man. Um, It is, and I talked to. uh, It was kind of cool because I talked to um, their hitting coach, is one of my dad's best friends. And he told me after the game, he was like, hey, I told the manager, man, like, if you let him hit, he's going to win the game. And so he put me on. Um, I yeah, wanted first base was open. I, I would have watched you, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so go back to to uh, to the draft. You come out of out of Georgia Tech. Uh, it was the, the COVID year in 2020. So how much contact had you had with? with these teams and obviously you went through a different, a much different draft process than most other guys because of the, of the COVID year, you probably didn't play any games after, after March. What was that draft process like? Um, it was pretty crazy. Um, and it was kind of aggravating just because it put me in a position where I ended up. And before I even say that, I'm very thankful that I am where I am yeah. um, and the Phillies drafted me. Um, but it was aggravating because I slid further than what was projected based off what my agent was telling me based off the teams that he talked to. Um, and what it came down to was that they didn't play in the big leagues that year. So the owners weren't willing to give as much money um, for draft. And so guys were taking a lot of uh, underpays. Like I got a call in the third round. No, it might've been the second round actually, but it was for like, $500,000 under slot. Um, so I was just kind of like, yeah, there's no way, right? Um, yeah. And so it was an aggravating process also because I was just starting to get hot in my uh, junior season when we got, because I think we only played one ACC series. We were packing up the bus to go to Florida State. And then they told us to unpack the bus and that, you know, We'll, we'll check in with you guys. We're going to go talk to the athletic director and see what's going on. But stay around campus, and um, we'll let you guys know within the next week. And then the next, like, two days where, all right, guys, we're done. Um, the season's over. So then it just became, you know, how much can I train? And they got pre-draft workouts all over the place. So I'm, I'm going to people's pre-draft workouts and just um, 
trying to feel out, you know, who's got the most interest. And I guess it really didn't even matter uh, just because I hadn't even heard from the Phillies before the draft. And I ended up going to the Phillies. Like all the teams that were calling me and, you know, every day and calling my agent and telling them, hey, we're going to take him here and we want him here. Um, I hadn't even heard from the Phillies at all uh, beforehand. And so them picking me was kind of like, oh, all right, well. I guess they were always watching. They just never reached out. Um, well, at least you got picked because then the non-drafted exactly. guys that year, they had the big cap on the on the bonus. Exactly. And that was the thing for me where uh, I ended up – it was crazy how it actually worked out. Um, I got to the fifth round. The fifth round was moving. And then they were like, well, you take 100000 And in my head – I'm like, man, this is so much lower than the slot value, but I'm not going back to college because I know college guys, that would have been my senior year, college guys signed for 10 grand no matter what because they know that you want to play. Um, so for me, I was like, it's just a foot in the door and, you know, let's start the process. Let's get it going. You faced Griff McGarry in college. Um, yeah. But he got drafted. He, he, he went back and then he had a big year which was his senior year in 2021. He went and it worked out for him, but it does, obviously it's, it's a, it doesn't work out for for everybody. What do you remember about facing, uh, facing Griff there when he was at UVA? Griff was a completely different guy. Um, from what I remember, his fastball might've been 91 to 93, maybe touch of four. Now he's 96, 98 um, with an electric, everything, everything he throws is electric out of his hand. Um, so he made a big jump, and I remember hearing his name and knowing who he was. Like, I knew who he was when I met him. Um, but it was just crazy to kind of see the first time when he threw. I was like, this is not the guy that I remember. So he <laughs> took that, you know, that that year, that, that extra year, and really made a huge jump. And that's why he's as good as he is now. Nowadays, it seems like everybody throws at least 90, especially every right-hander, throws at least, you know, 93 to 94. What – how big – difference is it as a hitter from say 93 to 96 where's that big um, jump like where's the where does it get where does it go from really hard to super hard I think really hard is around 95 like when a guy has super spin rate so his fastball looks like it's taking off that 95 gets on you quick um I think really hard like I've seen 98 99 100 this year and I really want to say that there's not too much of a difference between that, like, 97 and 99 range. Like, it just gets on you so quick that you can't even really tell. Yeah. Um, but I think 95 is, like – I mean, like I said, it really just depends on if the guy spins it well because some guys throw a soft 95 and some guys throw a really heavy 95. Um, but I definitely think the jump between 90 – four to 96 kind of looks the same. And then once you hit that 97, the 100 range, it's like, all right, that's, that's, he's throwing fuel. When you say a soft 95 versus a heavy 95, you mean movement, downward trajectory? No, what? I mean like just that the way that it comes out of a pitcher's hand, it's hard to explain. It's kind of something that you would have to see. Um, but some guys like they'll throw it at you and you feel like it's 91. And then you look at the board and it's 95. And there's other guys you look up and you think you just threw 99 and it looks there, it's actually 95. Like it could be even 90 miles an hour. Like there's been guys that throw 90 that we were like, this guy, this guy looks like he's throwing 95. 
but it was only 90 miles an hour for whatever reason, probably because he spins it so well. Um, but when I say soft, it's just like it doesn't get on you as quick. As, like, it's just easy. I think what helps is it's easy to see. So when a guy is deceptive and it just gets on you quick, like it makes it feel like it's harder than it is um, and vice versa. You played any other sports growing up? Yeah, I played football, basketball, um, and then baseball too. But the three main sports for me, yeah. When did you did you have the chance to play any of those other sports collegiately? Yeah, my senior year, um, I was a four-star quarterback, um, and I had a lot of offers to go play football and to go play both, I guess, at a lot of schools. Um, but what it came down to was I went to a lot of the – there were a couple of things that went to it. I mean, especially body-wise, uh, I got on the prospect kind of list late as a baseball player. Um and so once I got it, I think it was my junior summer, once I kind of got on the prospect list and scouts are hitting me up all the time and all that, it was kind of like, all right, well, this can get me guaranteed money and my body won't be destroyed doing it. So it was a tough thing to let up. Um, but I committed to Georgia Tech for baseball my senior fall, right before the season, and put it out there that I wouldn't be playing football in college. Um, because it was weird. It got to a point where the football schools weren't offering because they thought I was going to go to the draft, so they just left me alone. Um, and then the baseball team thought I was going to go to college for football. So it was kind of like I was stuck in a great spot, kind of like late junior year, early senior year, where nobody really knew. Um, and so once I made the decision, it was, you know, big football schools are coming to me after I've already announced that I'm not playing football in college to try to convince me to flip. And then baseball schools, now that they see I'm not playing football, are already trying to jump on the bandwagon and things late. But that's kind of tough with baseball because a lot of their recruiting classes fill up early. Like baseball, the guys are committing freshman year, sophomore year. And I want to say there's only 11.7 scholarships for baseball. So they're giving yeah. up percentages. And this is weird. So once I committed to Georgia Tech, um, I had enough – um, they had enough scholarship for me to be able to have, I think it was 75 or 72%, and my uh, academics covered the rest. Uh, so I never paid for anything in school. Um, but, yeah, I had the opportunity to play. But, like, every year I was at Georgia Tech, football coach is coming up, hey, man, come out, come, come play for us, because they offered me in high school. So once I got on campus, they were like, man, you sure you don't want to play? And at that point, when I first got on campus, they were still running triple options. So, like, I'm, I'm not doing that. Well, you know, quarterback to it, it's a lot more. It's not, I don't mean this in a negative way towards like a running back or a receiver or whatever, but quarterback's a lot more mentally involved. And yeah. like it's tough to miss spring practice as the quarterback when it's right in the middle of the ACC baseball season. And then the other part of it too is they only, they're only going to take one, maybe two in a class where you could get a, you could take five or six receiver, or, you know, four or five receivers or, three running backs or a bunch of linebackers or whatever. Yeah, it was it was crazy. My baseball team at Georgia Tech was me and another really good quarterback from my same county, uh, Cam Turley. So we had two college caliber quarterbacks on our baseball team that were no longer playing football. So it was pretty crazy, but, I mean, we both chose the baseball route. Could you run the triple option if you had to? <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the main reason they, they offer me is because at that point, um, my junior year, um, 
our offensive line was kind of iffy. So I had a lot of rushing yards, uh, especially my senior year, two, um, when, the, you know, I the, the line was good, but I just had to run a little more just because buy myself some time or for whatever reason. So at that point, there was still triple option. And, you know, they thought I could run it. But at the same time, like, when I got to campus, I was glad to see that I didn't choose it because they had basically some running backs playing quarterback at that point because they didn't throw the ball. Yeah. So you really didn't need to have somebody that could throw um, playing that position. But once they switched to the spread offense in my sophomore year, they were really on me to come out just because they didn't have too many quarterbacks that could throw. That could throw, yeah. Um, exactly. Now, you, were, you were born in Michigan, right? Yes. So you were born in Michigan. Your mom was at Michigan State, and then she went to Ohio State? She was at – she went straight to Ohio State from high school. Straight to Ohio State. So you are born in Michigan, but your mom was a basketball player. How yes. did she try to get you to play uh, basketball the next level, too, or were you just better at baseball and football? No, she – I mean, basketball was just something I kind of did to um, stay in shape between the seasons. Um, I was still good just because I had her. You know, I grew up playing, but – that wasn't something that I ever really had my heart in. Like I played that just because I was good at it and to help me stay in shape and my friends were playing it. So I wanted to do what my friends were doing during that point. Um, but she's not even like, she could be coaching on any women's basketball staff right now. If she wanted to, like she started all four years, all big 10, they played for national championship. Like she could do it if she wanted to, but she, doesn't like watching basketball anymore, like women's basketball. I don't know what it is. It's like she just gets aggravated by certain things. Like it's a different style of play than it used to be when she played. So she doesn't really want anything to do with it. Um, so she didn't really care. She's always – she comes from a big football family. Um, both of her brothers, my uncles, played D1. Like one played at Michigan State, one played at Arizona State uh, football. So – she always loved me playing football, and then obviously because my dad loved me playing baseball too. You mentioned uh, Derek Hall as a guy that you know that you've watched him tape on or made some similar adjustments to in the pros. Now, who was who was a guy that you like to watch when you were growing up? Growing up, Barry Bonds for sure. Um, he was always a big lefty hit power hitter that could also hit for average, and people were scared to throw to him. Um, and he's just, you know, he's always a guy that I argue is the greatest hitter of all time just because, I mean, the steroids don't help you hit the ball. Um, the steroids don't help you turn on 99 and hit it in the ocean. Um, so for me, you know, I think that it's, people were scared of him in the box. He was a threat in the box, big lefty hitter, corner outfielder. Um, and that was what I was growing up. So for me, that was just somebody that him and Griffey were two that I could just watch and kind of try to create my game around. I know your, your dad played a few years in the minors. Um, yeah. What did you – he played for Wilmington. You, you guys have played in Wilmington a few times, uh, obviously, yeah. this year. What did what did you learn from him, and, and what did you take from him when you started the uh, – your minor league career, which obviously is a, is a, a real grind? Yeah, he – you know, I, I'm very thankful that I have a dad that has already done this grind before. Um, so I kind of came into it prep and I'm ready to expect um, giving me the rundown. And we've even been a little bit privileged because actually a lot privileged because when before COVID, like especially when he was playing, like they were making way less money. Um, 
and you know they're doing 14-hour bus rides here and staying in crappy hotels um it was a super grind he told me about a time where they didn't have host families ready for him yet when he got called up so he had to spend like a week sleeping in the locker room like just crazy stuff like that um and so he kind of just prepped me and gave me the baseline you know what to expect in pro ball and um how to navigate and uh everything that comes along with the grind of minor league baseball um and it's a little bit different now like i said and you know we're different people so I'm gonna have different experiences than he had along the way uh but him giving me the baseline and know what to expect was pretty cool and yeah it really helped me along you know my second season here now I mean compared um from a scheduling standpoint you got it easy you play Sunday of day off and then yeah. travel somewhere and play play Tuesday or whatever he might he probably had like a you know night game in Wilmington eight hour bus ride to Myrtle Beach and then play the next night Yep, absolutely. He told me all about it. And I was like, man, it's, you know, minor league baseball has come a long way. So you have, um, I don't know if you know this, but you have 29 career minor league home runs. He had 24. So when you hit your first one last Friday, you passed him. Oh, I'm going to have to call him and tell him that. <laughs> <laughs> call him and tell him that. <laughs> well, Baron, this was great. I don't want to keep you. I know you got uh, you got a game tonight. Best of luck. Keep up the uh, keep up the great work and uh, get a couple wins here this weekend. Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hook, line, and splitter is brought to you by NJR Home Services. When it comes to your comfort, trust your home to the local heating and cooling experts, and hit a home run for comfort with NJR Home Services. That's NJRHomeServices.com. Thanks to Baron Reckler for a few minutes. He was great, and uh, enjoyed talking with him about the way his season has progressed, his goals, um, his approach at the plate, and uh, so much more. Last chance to see, of course, Barron and the Blue Claws will be in Short Town next week, Tuesday through Sunday, the 6th through the 11th. It's local summer presented by Rothman Orthopedic. Uh, a lot of great things going on, of course. The last Thursday, Thursday of the year is on the 8th. Next Friday, the 9th, postgame fireworks. Saturday, September 10th is going to be a great night. That's Fan Appreciation Night, not only will there be post-game fireworks, but there's a lot of other stuff going on, too. First 1,500 fans get a special Blue Claws Tiki Cup. It's Real Claw Happy Hour, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m., $8 Real Claw cans and 16-ounce drafts. Special in the Claws Cove, 22% off orders of at least $50. Specials in the Blue Wave Bar and the Sand Bar, and as we said, post-game fireworks as well, Fan Appreciation Night is next Saturday, September the 10th. And then Sunday the 11th, uh, the season wraps up. We'll do some uh, a memorial walk uh, for September 11th, obviously the 21st anniversary of the 9-11 terror attacks of 2001. And then uh, we'll have the usual Sunday fun activities for the kids, run the bases after the game, and then say goodbye for a little while until April 11th. That was the other thing. That I wanted to mention here, Blue Claws 2023 schedule has been announced. Blue Claws will open the season three games in Brooklyn over what is Easter weekend, April 7th, 8th, and 9th. And then opening night at the Jersey Shore is Tuesday, April 11th against the Greensboro Grasshoppers. So Blue Claws will play 12 games at home in April and then only eight in May. And then in June, it really picks up 48 of the 66 home games scheduled for 2023 uh, will take place between Memorial Day and Labor Day, whereas this year was only 39 games 
between Memorial Day and Labor Day for the Blue Claws, the way the, the schedule fell. So, you know, that part of it is exciting. Brooklyn will make three visits in. Hudson Valley will make two visits in. Blue Claws will be home on July 4th this year, which is a Tuesday, as they take on the Hudson Valley Renegades. Blue Claws are not home on Father's Day or Mother's Day or uh, Memorial Day either. Uh, Memorial Day is obviously a day off, be, uh, being that it falls on a Monday. So uh, that's kind of the way the, the schedule fell this year. It'll be 11 six-game homestands, whereas this year was 10 six-game series and then those two three-game series, one at the beginning of the year and once around in the All-Star break in July. A couple of new opponents will be in town that haven't been here in a little while. Uh, Greensboro was here once last year, but not this year. Rome will be in town uh, Asheville will be back. They were here a little uh, for one series earlier this year as well. Blue Claws will go to Rome. They will go to Winston-Salem. They will go to Hickory. They will go to Greensboro among teams in the Southern Division in 2023. The other thing you might notice when you look at the schedule, and this is available on BlueClaws.com, June 26th is a Monday. June 27th is a Tuesday. They're both days off. And then there will be a six-game series that goes June 28th, which is a Wednesday, to Monday, July 3rd and wrap around, and the reason they do that is because July 3rd and 4th falls on a Monday and Tuesday this year. They wanted to make sure that every team got a chance to host either on July 3rd or July 4th. Blue Claws, like they did this year, will host on Tuesday, the 4th of July. So that'll be uh, always a fun day. But April 11th is the one you're going to count down towards. It's uh, opening night at the Jersey Shore, always one of the more special nights of the year, Tuesday April 11th, which is two days after Easter Sunday in April of 2023. You can get the whole schedule there on BlueClaws.com. As we said, Rothman Orthopedics local summer is this week, Tuesday through Sunday. Blue Claws will host the Aberdeen Ironbirds and try to finish out the season strong um, with a few wins over a team that's given them some trouble uh, here in Lakewood this year. The last time Aberdeen was in town, if you remember – uh, it was Father's Day week. They clinched the first half, the Wednesday, the second game of the series. On Saturday, they threw a no-hitter uh, when the Philly Fanatic was here. And then Sunday, the Blue Claws led 5 nothing in the second inning and lost the game 7-6. And uh, that series started, the, the Blue Claws won Thursday night, and then Aberdeen won Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And those are the first three games in that 15-game home losing streak for the Blue Claws this season. But it's a new week, and we'll see what happens. Blue Claws will host the Ironbirds beginning on Tuesday. Thanks to Baron Reckler for a few minutes. He was great. Really enjoyed talking to him in this, uh, in this format, you know, where you can sit down and kind of go into a little more detail and, and get him to open up a little bit more. Uh, the players have been great. Urge you to listen to uh, the other episodes. Like, rate, review, subscribe, the whole thing. So we'll try to sneak in another interview or two um, next week before we say goodbye for this season. And then once we get into the offseason, we're going to wrap do you know our Phillies minor league roundtable wrap-up that we did last year with Emily Messina of the Reading Fightin' Phils, Mike Ventola, and Pat McCarthy from the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs as well. So we'll, uh, we'll go around the system here for an episode or two on hook, line, and splitter. And then with the Phillies hopefully uh, heading towards the postseason, they are playing very well albeit not the, not the best week in Arizona, but uh, they're, they're play, they've been playing really well now for a few months, so it looks like they're going to be in the postseason. We'll do something 
um, with that as well. So that'll do it for us here today, episode 45 of Hook, Line, and Splitter. Thanks to Baron Ratcliffe for joining us. I'm Greg Jamborisi. Have a wonderful day, everybody. We'll see you in Short Town Tuesday night, Tuesday to Sunday, the final six of 2022. Get your tickets now at BlueClaws.com. I'm Greg Jamborisi. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Hook, Line, and Splitter, a Jersey Shore Blue Claws podcast. <laughs>